Hey guys, welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, Shiel Kapadia joins us from The Ringer to break down four of the NFL's most important games this upcoming weekend, as well as who the five teams Shiel believes actually have a viable shot at making it and winning the Super Bowl. One of them was more of a struggle than the others. We'll get to that at the end of the show. But first, I want to tell you about another podcast, which is now available twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays, The Mina Kime Show, featuring Lenny, a podcast hosted by ESPN NFL analyst Mina. Oh, I know Mina Kimes. I forgot. Of course, I know Mina Kimes. Mina Kimes is a friend of our show, a friend of mine. Of course, you're listening to Mina Kimes already. But if you're not for some crazy reason, Mina Kimes is hosting the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny twice a week during the season here. She's joined on Tuesdays by another friend of ours, Dominique Foxworth. And then later in the week, she's joined by different expert guests to preview the most intriguing games. That is the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny. Listen wherever you are listening to this podcast. All right, joining me now here on the Bill Barnwell show, a frequent contributor to the podcast, someone whose work I love and respect, but I have major questions about the people, the new or newish podcast co-host he has chosen to join up with after revelations today on your podcast, and I believe on Twitter as well, Shil Kapadia of The Ringer. What is going on with your podcast partner, Benjamin Solak? Yeah, well, th- thanks for having me, Bill. I, you know, I just started podcasting with uh, Solak in July or August, and now every episode I find out find out something new. Uh, and, and this week, I found out he he mentioned something about how his wife will like you know turn up the heat to sixty three, and I said, wait, turn up the heat to see? What you mean turn down? No, when Ben Solak is home by himself, the heat, the thermostat. Is on 60 degrees, something Six. that I, I've never heard of. I mean, the Kapadias, we do 68. Sure. I feel like every couple in America that is living together, the thermostat is like the constant battle. You're never going to agree on that uh, between the two parties. Sure. But uh, I thought 68 was kind of cool. I like having a hoodie on, but he keeps it at 60 degrees, which I thought was, um, as others have said, should get him. I don't know if arrested is the, is, is a little harsh, but uh, certainly looked into, investigated. Six, six zero, to be clear six here. Zero. That's yeah. Wow. Can you have you ever met anybody who did that before? I never have, but I will say when I tweeted out the podcast link and mentioned it, there have been people who have said like this is the right take. It's just like his take where he said jeans are bad. He doesn't own a pair of jeans. <laughs> All the people come out of the woodwork. So uh, in a way, he's carving out a nice brand. He's a spokesman for these takes that I didn't even know existed. <laughs> spokesman for the weird Ben Solak. Uh, <laughs> do you know his attitude towards milk? I don't. I would imagine he's a big milk drinker. Though. Oh, you know, you, you, see that? That's not surprising to me. Yeah, I mean, that's my guess. I'll ask him about that on the next episode. But, you know, he's a a younger fella. Um, You know, I think as you get older, the body, at least in my case, dairy, you don't want to do too much uh, Mm -hmm. dairy. And so I don't think he's at that stage yet. And uh, I don't know, he lives in the Midwest, not to, you know, stereotype everyone who lives (laughs) in the Midwest, but Jim Harbaugh, you know, he lives in the same uh, state where Jim Harbaugh coaches. And Mm -hmm. so I feel like a a, a nice Michigan man who likes a a glass of milk. Mm -hmm. Well, that led to... Uh, someone getting a Super Bowl ring, and even Wah getting a Super Bowl ring after his love of milk in the past. So maybe Ben Solak <laughs> is on the right track. There you go, following in his footsteps. Well, I, I will leave the rest of the Solak discussion to your own podcast, Shield, which we'll talk about later on in the show. But we have a lot of games to get to this weekend. It's a really interesting week 15. We have the three Saturday games, one of which we're going to discuss here. Yeah, one of which, I think. Uh, we have a bunch of games on Sunday that are compelling. But I think the game everyone's talking about heading into Saturday evening is Dolphins-Bills. And one of the reasons people are talking about this game is the possibility that it's going to be cold and snowy in Buffalo. And I want to ask you to start, Shiel, about Mike McDaniel's attitude towards this revelation. He seems to basically be denying 
that weather exists or affects things? And do you think that's the right attitude for him to take in advance of a crucial game for his Dolphins in the AFC East? Yeah, what what did his T-shirt say? I don't have it in front of me. The T-shirt he was wearing to practice? Something have, about the cold? I have to find it. Okay, yeah, it was something about the cold doesn't exist or not cold enough for me or something like that. He, I, he, he said, was dancing around. I, I wish it were colder. I wish it were colder. There you go, as he was dancing around. Uh, I'm enjoying the Mike McDaniel experience. I think we need more characters in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Characters are good. I don't know if there's one great way to sort of play it when you're talking about motivation. I mean, the thing I always sort of laugh about is like not every player on the Dolphins was like born and raised in Florida, you know, like (laughs) it's the NFL. So like many of them have played in cold weather in high school, in college. Not everybody is in the same boat there. So uh, I love snow football games, like the idea Mm -hmm. of a snow football game on a Saturday night and me just kind of cozying up here uh, in the warmth and (laughs) watching it on TV. Yeah, and 68 degrees. uh, That makes me very excited. So uh, I love a snow game and we'll see how much it affects the Dolphins. It's a really good point. And I always think about sort of the argument that Jim Kelly made when Jim Kelly was talking about, I think it was Trent Edwards, maybe. Uh, It was about somebody in the pre-Josh Allen era where he said, you know, you have to have experience playing cold weather before you get here. Actually, this story can be totally apocryphal, but let's just run with it as if it actually happened. Uh, and I just thought, you know, like like plenty of quarterbacks come from other places. It's not just because you went to college somewhere uh, doesn't mean that you grew up there or have experience there. Tom Brady is the classic example, a guy who played in New England, very famously won a snow game, uh, went to Michigan, but grew up in Northern California where he was, if he was seeing a lot of snow, it was because he went skiing with his family. It wasn't like he was seeing snow on a day-to-day basis. So... I do think that, of course, it can be a competitive advantage to play in the snow frequently. But like you said, it's not as if these guys have never played in snow or wind before. Yeah, it, it's funny when you talk to NFL players or listen to NFL players, they have differing theories for like who the snow gives an advantage to. Mm-hmm. Like I've definitely heard offensive linemen say that it slows down the pass rush. Like it, it, it's actually easier to block mm-hmm. uh, in the snow defensive lineman. And then I remember I covered a great Eagles Lions snow playoff game uh, during the Chip Kelly era. And there was this story that like, you know, the Eagles were running the ball and the cornerback, Kerry Williams went up to Chip Kelly and it's like, dude, you should start chucking the ball downfield. It's really hard to be a corner in these conditions. We don't know where we're going. If the wide receiver knows where they're going and in these conditions can like, you know, turn on the jets a little bit, we can't keep up with them. And so then like the Eagles threw the ball a little bit and had success. So uh, it's interesting for this game. I mean, we, we were joking about it with not every player, uh, you know, grew up in Florida, but certainly, you know, Tua would be somebody and the way their offense is built with speed with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, you know, on the surface, I would always think like, all right, the fast team, this is going to be a blow to them because you're not going to be as fast if it's snowy. But mm-hmm. then you do have some examples of players saying, well, no wide receivers uh, might have a little bit of an edge there. So it'll be fun to see which way it goes. If I'm not mistaken, I believe this was a game where Jeremy Ross had two return touchdowns and Chris Polk finished the game off with a 38-yard touchdown run. Oh, my God, Bill. I'm old. I don't remember yesterday. I don't remember this morning. Uh, All I know is I think there was, I believe, a Sports Illustrated cover or maybe a newspaper cover with LaShawn McCoy uh, in the snow. And I remember he had a monster game and everybody afterwards was like, how come this is the only person who it felt like he was playing indoors where the rest (laughs) of us felt like we were playing outdoors? LaShawn McCoy, 29 for 217. In that there you game. go. So I think that's the one. That was a pretty crazy game, according to this box score. I don't remember this game whatsoever, I have to admit. <laughs> um, let, let's talk about, instead of the 2014 Eagles, let's talk about Tua Tango Vailoa. And let's talk about this offense, because the last couple weeks have not been pretty. Tua was, I think, 3 for 19 at one point during the Sunday night loss to the Chargers. So I think everyone's having this conversation. I want to hear what you think. How concerned are you about Tua and this offense after the past couple of weeks? Yeah, I generally hate uh, the old blueprint discourse. You know, a team's <laughs> playing well, they lose one game, and then all of a sudden everywhere you are, oh, blueprint, you know, it's the, <laughs> this is the blueprint where I'm like, most of the time it's like, you know, 
the better players, the coaches, me and you would probably be like, well, there was a little luck in here. You know, they fumbled here and they recovered it. Or, you know, there was this weird penalty where could have flipped the game. But <laughs> so that's where I was after that 49ers game. You know, I was like, everybody settle down. This Dolphins offense has been a top five offense all season long. The 49ers defense is incredible. They do this to a lot of teams. This isn't going to be uh, replicable by other defenses. And then I sat down and I watched Sunday night and a Chargers defense that I've not been impressed with all mm-hmm. season long, and they made him look even worse. And so a lot of people have written about it. Nate, our, our friend Nate Tice had a good piece mm-hmm. up on it uh, on The Athletic. Ben Solak had some clips there uh, on Twitter in his cold house about what the uh, what the Chargers were doing. And, um, you know, I'm curious to hear what you think, but it seems like the staples were you disrupt the receivers mm-hmm. within five yards of the line of scrimmage, whether that means uh, pressing them or having, you know, another defender just kind of hit them there within five yards because you really want to disrupt the timing of mm-hmm. that Dolphins offense. Offense. Uh, have your underneath defenders, if, if you're in zone, get a lot of depth so that you don't have these big voids between the underneath defenders and the deep defenders and kind of force to it, you know, check it down mm-hmm. in front of those defenders. And then take away the middle of the field, which is probably easier said than done, but the Chargers did a great job of it mm-hmm. with their defensive backs playing with inside leverage and kind mm-hmm. of saying, all right, if you're going to run corner routes or out routes uh, and Tua's going to throw it outside the numbers, we'll lose that way, but you're not going to hit these posts and these slants and these glance routes uh, inside the numbers. So those were some of the things the Chargers did, and I think it was a great game plan by them. I also think you know, they switched things up enough where they weren't doing just one thing, and so I think those tactics will definitely be implemented by the Bills, who I think are one of the best coach defenses in the NFL, and so I I think they can execute that game plan. And so uh, to me, not to ramble for too long, but mm-hmm. I, I think the Dolphins are like the most interesting team in the NFL going into the final month of the season. Because on one hand, you could have this actually be a blueprint, the rare case where there is a blueprint, <laughs> the Bills do it, other teams do it, and the Dolphins kind of go in the tank and don't have a great end to their season. Ooh, I like that. Or we could... Yeah, I didn't even mean to do that, I swear. (laughs) Uh, Or we could have the other scenario where they get over this and they say, okay, we've seen it on film. We do have a plan B and we're still going to be one of the most dangerous teams in the NFL. So it it could go one or two ways for them. Absolutely. I think there's a really wide range of possibilities for this team over the final month of the season. And we're going to get to that, I think, in a minute as well. But to your point, I mean, there's there's always going to be some kind of solution. Teams are always going to have things they're best at and defenses are always going to notice that and have counters to that. That's just the reality of football. It's never, there's never a perfect play. There's never a perfect concept. Anything you do is eventually going to be countered. But the question is, what is your counter punch? What is your plan B? What is your solution when teams take away the thing that you do best? And we haven't seen that yet from the Dolphins. I think Mike McDaniel's a pretty smart guy. I think he's, got some very talented players. I think Tua is a better quarterback than maybe people are giving him credit for right this second. But they're going to have to have counters in this game for all that stuff. They're going to have counters for when teams, like you said, do play uh, inside leverage in situations where they'd normally play outside and sort of funnel their help to the the safeties in the interior. Tua is going to have to hit throws to the outside. He's going to have to hit outs. He's going to have to hit throws to the flat. He's going to have to hit back shoulders. He's going to have to throw the ball on screens. He's going to have to do stuff to take advantage of the coverage that teams are selling out to try and stop now because number one that's going to be open and number two that's going to open up the stuff that he wants to hit at the end of the day the dolphins want to be a team that throw over the middle of the field where two it can be accurate and give his guys opportunities to run with the ball after the catch with the ball in their hands and i think they'll get that but maybe not quite as much as they did perhaps over the first half of the season my other concern though shield is that this team, for the first half of the season, even though Tua did get hurt on a sack, this team was very good at protecting Tua Tango-Vailoa and getting the ball out of his hands quickly. He had, I believe, eight sacks across his first eight games. Now, over the last few weeks, over the last six, no, over the last 10 quarters, so since Toronto Armstead went out with that injury, that pec injury against the Texans, and then only came back uh, in a limited way last week uh, against the Chargers, Tua's been sacked nine times. Like, he's been getting hit way more often. And so I think 
you know, that 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 feeling for two of, okay, my first read isn't open. I have to get through the progression to two, three, four. Number one, I don't think that's his best suit anyway. I don't know if that's necessarily what he wants to do or what, what he's best at doing in this offense. And number two, if he doesn't have confidence that he's going to have time to throw, what you're going to see are a lot of throws that are contested, that are 50-50 balls, and you end up with a three for 19 day from your quarterback. So I think the offensive line against a Bills defense that is missing Von Miller has to hold up for two to have any hope of, of delivering on sort of those ideas of those counter punches and those plan Bs for him in this game. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great point. It's the reason I, I wasn't high on this Dolphins team uh, coming into the season because I was like, all right, you know, you can add speed at the outside, but is protection going to be able to hold up? And so what they were doing by protecting Tua in some ways was the most impressive part of the Mike McDaniel experience. You know, like you said, I mean, there's some quarterbacks like the longer they hold on to the football, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, you're just like, all right, something bad's about to happen yes. to the defense here most of the time. And then there are other quarterbacks and, and Tua would fall into this category where the longer he holds on to it, it feels like something bad's about to happen for the offense. I mean, when he knows what he wants to do and gets rid of the ball, the offense looks beautiful and it looks unstoppable. Uh, but I don't think he's someone he's created some, I don't want to say he hasn't created it all. He has created some this year uh, and he had some scrambles last week, but I think ideally that that's not how they want this, uh, this offense to operate. So yeah, it's a great point. That battle between the bills pass rush and the dolphins offensive line is going to be a big one. Gregory Rousseau has kind of been uh, coming on and having a very good year for them with Von Miller going down. And, uh, you know, they've got a lot of sort of young guys. They've got uh, a, a good mix of young guys and veterans. They just don't have that one guy anymore like uh, like Von Miller that you sort of have to game plan around. Mm -hmm. From the Bills' perspective, they're number one right now in the AFC, the top seed. They're second in the NFL in DVOA. When you watch them play right now, do you feel like they're playing at that level where we should be thinking of them as the, you know, a top two team in the NFL, the top team in the AFC, or do they feel like something less than that right now? I think I'm in the minority because I, I feel like everywhere I look, uh, there are doubts about this Bills team. And I just sort of feel like it's their style is going mm -hmm. to be like volatility. And it's not all like they can turn it over two times in a game and overcome it because Josh Allen's going to make some spectacular plays. Mm -hmm. I also think here's my here, this here's a theory, Bill. I haven't uh, uh, unveiled this anywhere Beautiful. else. Exclusive. Maybe because it's maybe because it's dumb. I don't know. But I feel like Tony Romo's commentary uh, it was the thanksgiving day game right where he was like look josh allen look he's missing these throws because of the elbow this is all over the film i feel like that sort of shaped the narrative mm -hmm. with josh allen where i'm like josh allen is still doing superman stuff every week and like josh allen when he's healthy will miss some of those throws you know yeah. what i mean so i i don't know i mean only josh allen knows uh, sean mcdermott those guys would know how i'm sure the elbow is affecting him a little bit but i think it's overblown because of what tony romo was uh telling mm -hmm. uh, america and whatever other countries were watching that thanksgiving day uh game so uh, i think they're a little volatile i think they go through stretches where you say it doesn't look right but this happened last year too and like i look at it and it's like okay we're through four 14 weeks and guess what the bills are the one seed the bills are second in the nfl in point differential the bills can win with an explosive offense the bills can win with a well-coached defense uh they have this kind of uh you know card they can play where if things aren't going well guess what they can just use josh allen in the run game and that's going to be really hard to stop so uh i'm still in on this Bills team, I don't. It's not going to look smooth every week. I feel like with them, but I still absolutely see them on like the list of two or three teams um, that that would be Super Bowl favorites to me. I, I wonder if you uh, agree or disagree. I agree. Uh, I'm a little concerned. I think the offense has been inconsistent, and that does concern me. But they played two great defenses the past two weeks in the Patriots and the Jets, so they're going to make you have inconsistent performances. I want to see how they look against the Dolphins this week. Well, the Dolphins are not anywhere near as good of a defense, or the Bears in Chicago the following week on Christmas Eve. I think there's there's things to be concerned about, but not as much as maybe other people are concerned. I'm almost more concerned about the defense right now than I am about mm -hmm. the offense, even though they're very good second in the NFL in points allowed, but I do think they're going to miss Von Miller. I do think Travius White is not 100% yet, even though he did come back and play a full snap load for the first time against the Jets. Um, you know, I, I think that's my concern more than the offense. 
I I will agree with this, by the way, with your opinion here. Romo's very good at his job. I think Chris Collinsworth is generally very good, but there are plenty of times where I will be sitting there after a game thinking, okay, this is what I saw, and this is what I have the evidence to say about this game. And it's very much at odds with the story that was being presented on commentary. And because of that, I get a, a reaction of like, we don't know what you're talking about. And it's like, no, I, I just saw these things happen. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend yeah. that I, I'm, I'm wrong about this. Like, it's just, it's hard to do live television and have, and come up with stuff. So I, I think that maybe they're just mistaken, but I, I and he, that. you know, he, he very well might've had information, you know, within yeah. the production meetings where someone, I'm sure he knows that and someone told him that, and uh, I'm, you know, it, it, maybe it is affecting him. I just feel like the degree to which it's affecting him, like I'm still watching him going for the most part, you know, maybe it's like 94% Josh right. Allen, but it's right. not, it's not like 75% uh, Josh Allen, at least, at least when I'm watching him. Right. For sure. Um, this podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In terms of the Dolphins' defense in this game, the Dolphins have Xavier Howard, who is a very good cornerback. The Bills have Stephon Diggs, a very good wide receiver. And then the rest of their receiving core, mm, well, they signed Cole Beasley this week, which should tell you how they feel about that receiving core. So if you're the Dolphins and you want to try and win this game, do you just go to Xavier Howard and say, hey, you're following Stephon Diggs around the field and we're going to try and have Josh Allen beat us by throwing to his other guys? Or is that something that Xavier Howard you don't think can do against Stefan Diggs. Yeah, I like Diggs against, you know, almost any corner in man coverage. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's so savvy. He's such a good route runner. He makes incredible catches. But I think that certainly can be part of your game plan. I mean, it, I think against the Bills, when you play a lot of men and guys have their back to the line of scrimmage, now all of a sudden Josh Allen's yep. taking off for 18-yard scramble. So it's hard. I mean, it's hard against a lot of these quarterbacks where the quarterback can run and make plays um, outside of structure. So uh, I think that would be part of it. I, I think you definitely need to uh, mix in some zone if Allen is scrambling a lot. But it, it's a good point with the Bills. I mean, it's probably been the thing that's maybe been most surprising about their season is I, I think I know I thought coming in that, hey, the supporting cast is really good. Gabe Davis is going to make this leap off the way he ended last year. Mm-hmm. And they still got uh, Isaiah McKenzie and they signed Jamison Crowder. I was kind of like, I like their supporting cast. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fine. And you're right. It it's, has felt a little bit more like Stefan Diggs and then everybody else. So, uh, you know, they, they certainly could implement that and say, hey, if we take away Diggs, let's force these other guys to make plays a little bit uh, and see if they can do it. Mm-hmm. Um. In terms of the Dolphins, we'll finish up here. So the Dolphins have lost two straight. Their final stretch here is at Buffalo, hosting Green Bay, at the Patriots, hosting the Jets. Their playoff chances drop below 50% if they lose this Bills game and any one of those final three contests per the model at the upshot. So with these four games to go, two of which are on the road, three of which are in the division, what are the chances this all comes crashing down on the Dolphins and they miss the postseason? And if that does happen, do they consider changes? Do they go back to that Tom Brady, Sean Payton model that they were thinking about heading into this season? <laughs> oh like, gosh. like, like, yeah. is that is that window closed given how good Tua and Mike McDaniel were earlier this season, you think? Yeah, that's why they're so interesting, just because you're asking the, a legit question and like three weeks ago, 
if you were like, hey, I'm going to be asking this, is the question I'm going to be asking Sheila on a podcast in three weeks, you yeah. wouldn't have been like, oh my God, what happened in those, <laughs> in those weeks in between? Uh, I, I, you know, it's a small sample with McDaniel, but I really have liked what I've seen. Um, Me too. And so I, I'm leaning towards he's going to come up with a plan B, you know, there are answers there. Are, hey, throw the ball at the, uh, if the intermediate defenders are playing really deep, throw the ball underneath. We might not be as explosive, but we can get it done. We mm-hmm. can uh, put the receivers in motion. We can stack the receivers and bunch the receivers. So it's harder to press them. You know, there are different things you can do, which he knows much more than me that he can come up with that I'm not coming up with. So I think they're going to be able to come up with answers. I think that they're going to uh, still make the playoffs and find a way here. I like them better than kind of the other teams competing mm-hmm. for those wild card spots in the AFC. But if it does, I mean, there is a chance it comes crashing down. Like I was making fun of the blueprint thing, but it does happen sometimes where a team is awesome for 12, 13 weeks, and then they completely fall apart. And that last month is what shapes the entire narrative in the off season. Now, uh, I don't know what that would be um, in terms of quarterback. Uh, I, I feel like they would stick with the coach, but um, it's a very impulsive owner who changes his mind on stuff like every three months, it seems like for an extended period of time. So uh, you never know how like an owner would react to it if they did sort of fall apart down the stretch and not even make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, Let's move on to the other Eastern division in the NFL and Giants commanders, two teams who are in the playoff picture with winning records in the NFC it feels a lot easier to be optimistic about one than it is about the other. The Giants, of course, started six and one, and since then have gone one, four, and one. Not ideal for the Giants and Daniel Jones and the rest of that roster. So, Shield, is there anybody left on the Giants bandwagon? And should there be anybody left on the Giants bandwagon after? what we've seen over the past six weeks. This one has like, uh, I, I was joking, like Saturday first game of wild card oh, yeah. weekend energy. You know, yep. it's like there, there's a lot at stake. It's probably not going to be the best football you've ever seen. You know, it's not going to be Bill's Chiefs, but sure. there's actually something uh, at stake here. You know, I don't know that there's like a ton separating these teams, honestly. I mm-hmm. mean, I you know, you're you're right. Probably if you're a Commanders fan, you feel better about it just because of like the, the recency bias and the way your team has played um, over the last six weeks or so. But overall, if we're taking the bigger body of work, I mean, we saw it two weeks ago. That was a tie game and it wasn't really uh, a fluke at all. And so I don't know that there's anyone on the Giants uh, bandwagon. I, I think you, me, a lot of people probably earlier in the season were pointing to, all right, there is going to be some regression mm-hmm. with this team. Um, you saw how they they're so banged up too. You know, if they had better injury uh, luck in mm-hmm. some of these areas, specifically the secondary and wide receiver, then you could talk yourself into it. Uh, I'll give you one positive though. Uh, that pass rush, I think can be fierce mm-hmm. down the stretch. I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau, Aziz Ojalari. I mean, God, I want that guy to stay healthy because he is a really good pass rusher. Uh, Dexter Lawrence had some great reps against the Eagles last week. And then we'll see about Leonard Williams. So, It's not a deep group, but if you tell me they're going to have those four guys on the field uh, for the last month of the season, uh, I think they can give opposing offensive lines, opposing quarterbacks, a lot of issues. I mean, even in that that game two weeks ago, they were getting after Taylor Heineke Mm -hmm. uh, quite a bit in that game. And so I, I, I think if you're a Giants fan, that's kind of what you're looking at. You know, you, you sort of need Brian Dayball to scheme it up and give you something mm-hmm. offensively that works, that is good enough. And then you need that pass rush to tee off and create some uh, some turnovers and some negative plays. That really feels like that's going to be their formula in this game and, uh, and down the stretch. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Dayball scheming stuff up. And my question about the offense is, is there any hope? Can they scheme up anything if Saquon Barkley isn't healthy? Because right now it looks pretty clear the Saquon Barkley we saw earlier this season is not the guy the Giants are counting on right now. He played 31% of the snaps last week. The Giants said, yeah, we were spotting him for key situations. Uh, His neck is still an issue. He's averaging 2.9 yards per carry over the last month. Is there hope? that this offense can kind of hold up their end of the bargain if Saquon Barkley is not the guy we saw who was breaking big plays a couple months ago. 
I mean, not a lot. Probably not not a lot of hope. I, I think Daniel Jones, we saw in that first game between the two teams, he's got to be a big factor with his legs in sort of the option run game, the design run game. He ran mm-hmm. for 71 yards in that game. They weren't really able to get to it last week against the Eagles, but I, I would think he would need to be a factor there. And then you kind of just have to hope for some some big plays downfield off uh, play action with somebody like Darius Slayton. Again, they don't have a lot of guys to throw the football to, but it's it. I mean, I, w- I was shocked by this. They're 10th in passing DVOA this wow. year. I mean, I, I would have guessed they're in the 20s. And so uh, I know they're not as healthy as they were earlier in the season, but mm-hmm. I think between Jones being able to scramble a little bit and maybe you take some shots uh, with Slayton, who, who I think has been pretty underrated, um, mm-hmm. they're not going to be scoring 30 plus. It's a matter of, can you score enough points to win? But you're right. I mean, the Barkley thing is such a big factor because they were counting on him, even if it wasn't all game long, like a sustaining uh, running, it was a, there's always the chance that he can break one off mm-hmm. uh, or give you something, uh, you know, at the 24 yard line and, and take it to the house type thing. Thing where it doesn't feel like that's available to them right now, given his uh, his health. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the sustainability issues for the Giants from the first half of the season. Well, the Commanders are six one and one in their last eight games. Would you say that their performance, from what you've seen, has been sustainable in a way that maybe the Giants' performance from the first half of the season was not? I mean, they've got. They've got more guys who can make plays on offense. That's obvious. Again, we saw that in the first game, Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson um, and even Curtis Samuel in that game. So I think that's where their edges, uh, you know, defensively, they've certainly been a lot better this year than they were last year. I don't know if they're 10th or 11th or what, but they've got the pass rush. They've been a little little feistier. They've kind of done more with less with their secondary. So, uh, yeah, I would say it feels a little more sustainable. I mean, I, I still think any one of these weeks Heineke can turn the ball over three times. I think there will be games where their offensive line just gets overmatched by good uh, good pass rushes. And I think it's like a solid defense that will play pretty well against the Giants. But, uh, you know, if you're talking about kind of good offenses, whether it's later in the season or potentially in the playoffs, it's not a defense I look at and say they're that good where they're going to be shutting down some of these better offenses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I will say, though, you look at the commander's likely playoff schedule if they win this game, they're probably getting Brock Purdy in the first round of the postseason, Mm. which is, you know, Brock Purdy, maybe he'll be great. He's been good so far, but that is a subpar quarterback to face in the first round. They may actually have the better quarterback of the two in Taylor Heineke. And then if they win that game in the second round, they would likely get the Eagles, who they did beat earlier this season. So I guess it's possible the commanders could make a run, but I feel like the the winner of this game is this this feels like a playoff game to me basically in terms of sort of projecting who gets in from the nfc east yeah i forget what the percentages were i think i saw them on on espn earlier like the winner is i think above 90 percent, and the loser is around 30 wow. percent. so there's still there that chance that they both get in depending on what happens down the stretch but that's how i kind of view it. I mean, it's funny if you look at like who would be most fun. I, I think of most people right now are like, let's get those lions. Let's get those lions in there. That would be more fun. But uh, yeah, I think the winner of this game will be feeling feeling good about itself. Do you think uh, the final playoff spot should be decided by popular vote? Oh my, I hadn't thought about it until now, but yes, a hundred percent or, uh, I popular vote or just let me and you decide, I mean, we can do a podcast. Uh, it can do, it can do big numbers. We'll do it every year. Like maybe as soon as that last game on Sunday of week 18 is finished, we'll come on. Maybe we do a little live stream or something on YouTube. And, uh, listen, I think, um, I think the football viewing audience would put their trust in us to find the most entertaining team to be that, uh, Seventh seed. I love that idea. That's a great idea. I'm, I'm going to steal it. <laughs> There's going to be uh, photos of us watching the games in the ballroom, <laughs> like the college uh, football committee, with no notes or any way to, you know, record what you're actually watching. Just, uh, I feel like that is we deserve. That sounds that, so right? fun. 
That sounds so fun. Yeah, let's get a nice spread in there. Uh, yeah, that that sounds like a lot of fun. I'm in on that. As long as we can keep the thermostat in appropriate temperature. 68 yeah, degrees. We'll do 68. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> All right. Two teams in the AFC we'll move to here who are also going through rough stretches of the one of the one last week are the Titans and the Chargers. And we'll start with Tennessee because another of the questions I feel like I'm hearing everyone ask. I want to hear what you think. Are you concerned about Mike Vrabel and company after losing three straight games? Yeah, I think you have to be a little bit concerned. I mean, there's a chance that, like, I just look at the roster and go, "Oh my gosh, this isn't a very, this isn't a very good team." Sure. I mean, especially you look at it offensively, and it's Derrick Henry in his age 29 season, and you know Ryan Tannehill like just has not had a chance. I mean, that Eagles game a couple of weeks ago, I don't know that I've watched a game on film where I'm just like, the quarterback has nothing to do with this. He, there's nothing he can do to uplift this situation, given the way the offensive line is getting worked and given who he is throwing the football to. So they bounced back, you know, a little bit last week. I, I know they still lost that game in a big way to the Jaguars, but they had, what, 364 yards of offense, mm -hmm. 22 first downs in the first half. It looked like Derrick Henry was absolutely going off, but uh, they finished that game with four turnovers. Uh, Tannehill sacked four times. He takes nine quarterback hits. And so offensively, you've certainly got to be concerned. And then defensively, uh, I mean, Jeffrey Simmons just is not the same guy he was early in the season mm -hmm. with that injury. And uh, Danico Autry being out has mm -hmm. certainly hurt them. And then you look at some of the pieces in the secondary. So to me, it's like all really a talent thing with them. I, I don't look at it and say, man, if they had another coach, they, that person mm -hmm. would be able to do more with less. I'm kind of like, they're just in a bad spot right now. They kind of look more like the team, I think. I don't, I don't know what you thought, but this is sort of more of what I thought they would look like going into the season where I was like, this is the year they're going to come crashing back mm -hmm. down to earth. Um, and then they didn't do it for a while. They just took control of the division, but now they kind of look more like that team. Technically, they've already lost more games this year than they won or they lost a year ago. So officially, they've finally been gotten by regression <laughs> so happy about that one uh but you know like I, I think it's a really valid point the only thing i would say is we've kind of been expecting that from them for a while we're expecting it last year i was expecting it last year i was expecting it um you know earlier this season and they were kind of able to fend it off so i just wonder if it's just the injuries have gotten so far uh so deep in this roster right now that it is a problem. And I also think the other concern or the other thing that maybe, you know, is worth discussing here about Tennessee is Derrick Henry, where, you know, like you said, he's in his age 29th season. He was he really struggled to start the year when they went out in two. He got looked much better over the ensuing month and a half or two months. But over the last five weeks, he has one good half of football against the Jaguars in the first half last week, where it was all classical Derrick Henry. He destroys the Jags. Second half of the game, even the Jags slowed down Derrick Henry. He's averaging 3.6 yards per carry. He has, over the last five games, he has as many fumbles as he does touchdowns with three of each. And I asked you about the Giants and Saquon Barkley and whether that offense could be functional if their star running back was not playing at a high level, I have the same question about Derrick Henry. Can this offense, you know, be a playoff caliber offense over the rest of the season and into January if Derrick Henry is not the guy who is running people over and looking like he's going to be a threat to score on every single play? It doesn't feel like it. You know, he, he kind of, it reminds me of Brady and it's wild to say because Brady's what, 46 and Henry's 29. <laughs> so it's, it, they're separated by 17 same, years. Same ages I, for quarterbacks and running backs. Quarterback and running back, yeah. That, that's right. So like if you put together their, you know, 10 best plays or 20 best plays of the season, you would go, all right, they still got it. What are mm -hmm. you talking about? Um, but just sustaining it, the consistency, the snap in, snap out, game in, game out, uh, that certainly has not been there. And I, I don't think it's all him. Certainly, you know, we talked about there. 
Like if their offensive, if you just told me, hey, they're going to have a, um, you know, league average offensive line or like a top 12 offensive line, Mm -hmm. I would have a lot more faith in sort of everything with the Titans. But you kind of just don't have that. I mean, they can't they can't block people. They're uh, not good at multiple spots on the offensive line. They they lose their left tackle and haven't really been able to get good play Mm -hmm. there. And so that's really been at the heart of all of it. And so uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm used to Mike Vrabel being able to, in a spot like this against the Chargers in a game where you're underdogs and you really shouldn't win and you put the talent on paper and you say the other team's absolutely better, him coming up with some way to muddy up the game, to make it look ugly, and all of a sudden it's the fourth quarter and it pops up on red zone and you're going, oh, of course the Titans <laughs> are winning the, are, are winning this game. This is just what they do. So for that reason, I'm not counting them out. In this game, like this is a spot, but this game specifically, it's kind of like, all right, this is when the Chargers usually don't live up to expect the expectations. And this is usually when the Titans exceed expectations and do more with less. Now, there's a chance this Titans team is just different, as we talked about, and it's not going to happen this year and they're just going to get crushed. But mm-hmm. I am holding out some like I'm not going to go aggressively in that direction with Rabel. He's been so good uh, as an underdog. And so offensively, I mean, you just kind of have to like a screen here, you know, uh, 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 run leak like eight <laughs> times in this game and see if you can get a couple explosive plays, uh, on those or some throwbacks, some trick plays. Like, um, I think that's really their only hope offensively. I don't see them as, as a team that can kind of sustain drives consistently, uh, because of what you just talked about with the run game and with Henry. I, I think that's a really good point. Chick on Conquo is averaging like 25 yards of reception. I would say yes. throw it to him every single play on leak and just see, see if they believe that this is going to put the play where you don't run it for the, the 17th time in a row, establish it, establish it as the way. To- I love it. I'm in. Yeah. I mean, it feels like he's creating a 25 yard play every time the ball's in his hand. So yeah, just, mm-hmm. I, I like that game plan. Maybe we should email, uh, email Mike Rabel after the show. Right. We'll send it to Mike.Rabel at, at, at Titans.com. <laughs> I'm sure that will get to him. I, I will point out though, Sheila, if there was ever a game where Derek Henry was going to get right against a defense that we know is not up for stopping the run. It feels like that is the Los Angeles chargers. No. Hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, you know, just the way they're sort of structured and also the personnel. This is a team you can absolutely run the uh run the football. And I think they're what, twenty fifth in DVOA against the run. We don't know if they're gonna have Derwin James in this game. So mm-hmm. it's a completely like different game plan they have to cook up than they did last week against the Dolphins, which was really good. This is one where there, there are no secrets. Like we know how the Titans are going to play and we know what the Chargers weakness is. And so uh, maybe we, we can see something like the first half we saw with the Titans against the Jaguars. It would not shock me to see see the, the Titans be able to pull off something similar um, in this game and maybe take control of the game early on. I, I agree. Um, and I think there's still consistency issues, shall we say, with this Chargers offense. I mean, I, I don't want to be contrarian for the sake of being contrarian, but it feels like the entire internet has the exact same opinion about this Chargers offense, which is Justin Herbert <laughs> is great, and we don't understand why they're throwing the ball in the flat. 20 times a game or on every fourth down or their running stick or the same two or three pass concepts in every single situation. So please, Shil, you're a smart man. Explain to me, why are the Chargers doing this if every single person outside the building recognizes that the Chargers are not taking advantage of Justin Herbert's incredible passing arm? I think that take and also like Crushing Matt Canada. I think those are the, the two <laughs> takes this year that I feel like everybody, there is no contrarian take really on. No one is arguing the other side on either of those. I mean, I, I their offensive line is definitely an issue. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about it. Um, I, I think Daniel Popper of The Athletic had the stat that I think he's been, Herbert's been pressured on 45% of his dropbacks, wow. I think was the number in four straight games. So it's, it's different Then you know, you go into the season and you thought, all right, they got this fixed. The offensive line's going to be really good. And they tried uh, and they, and they got injured. And so now you got a bunch of backups in there. So I think that was part of it. Um, I think when Justin Herbert, I'm trying to be like, if I was Joe Lombardi's agent, how would I <laughs> argue this? So this is how I would argue it. It would be that it would be the, um, Hey, my quarterback was playing with injured ribs 
Yes. Sorry I wasn't having him stand back there for all day long with a banged up offensive line and getting crushed. This guy who is the franchise for like the next decade. Sorry mm-hmm. I wasn't able to do that. Having said that, that's kind of what you're paid to do is to come up with creative <laughs> ways to you know maximize his talents and not get him killed. And I do think you saw a lot more of that last week with the play action, with moving the pocket, with the bootlegs, with Justin Herbert. And I think that's certainly got to be part of the game plan uh, in this game and for the rest of the season. But um I'm kind of with you. I, I think you you mentioned this, but yeah, I don't. I'm not going to fully trust it. Like, you know, you watch that game last week and think of how well Justin Herbert had to play mm-hmm. for them to score 23 points. I mean, he was really incredible in that game, yes. but it was a lot of just you know him evading pressure and his pocket movement and him making unbelievable throws. I mean, there has to be an opportunity for him to just drop back and throw go balls to Mike Williams. I mean, anytime you watch it, you go, why aren't they doing this like six times a game? Uh, Mike Williams is incredible on those contested catches. Now in the NFL, it feels like anytime those balls are thrown, you have a great chance of drawing uh, pass interference. Mm-hmm on the defense. So like I get, you know, I feel like, yeah, you know, uh, the, the, the easy buttons per se with this offense don't seem to exist. And it feels like that could kind of just, you know, sometimes, um, people will talk about, give the quarterback a breather and run the ball. You could also just give him a breather by like, Hey, just take the worth. If we get a one-on-one, if they're in single high, just give Mike Williams the signal and just throw that bad boy, uh, you know, in a place where either he can catch it or no one can catch it. And let's see what happens. Like, it feels like they should be doing that five or six times a game and they don't do that Mm, you're right but this is a professional show offensive coordinators are so smart they would never think of something there would never be this naive and say oh we should just not run screens and flats 12 times a game even though it's not working who could possibly see that happening another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Um, yeah. With that in mind, with Lombardi's struggles, with the running game, running defense, not improving, to be fair, in part due to injuries in year two, but the defense on the whole having an inconsistent level of play. And given the curious lack of aggressiveness on fourth down, or the inconsistent, I should say, fourth down performance or decision-making from this Chargers team, where do you stand on Brandon Staley versus your opinion on him this time a year ago? Yeah, I would say I'm on the fence. Uh, honestly, I, I think that was a great performance by him uh, last week against Miami. You know, the, the Chargers don't have a great defense. And so to come out with a specific game plan and the player, like I hate when coaches say the problem is execution. It's like, dude, the first line of your job description is getting players to execute. That's literally what coaching is. So I can't stand that. That's a pet peeve. And so they do deserve credit when the players do execute. Cause I mean, Derwin James is out of that game. They haven't had Bosa like that unit should not be able to shut down Miami like that. So um, that gave me some hope, but it's a small sample. I mean, their defense has been disappointing overall both last year and this year and then the the in-game management like you said I mean I was on board last year when he was putting out the videos every Monday morning Uh, I I thought just unintentional comedy was great and also I think it's good to just explain what you're doing you know like when you're making unconventional decisions it's really John Harbaugh is really good at this he'll come out and he'll explain well this is exactly what I was thinking it was analytics it wasn't analytics it was 50-50 it was a toss like I, I appreciate when a coach does that and this year, it's just been very inconsistent. I don't know if he changed his mind in the offseason. I don't know if he feels like his defense is a lot better, and so he doesn't want to put so much on the offense. But uh, that's certainly been disappointing. That hasn't been great. So uh, I don't know if I have a great answer. I'm not like, you know, hey, go fire Brandon Staley. I'm also not like he's coach of the year. I'm kind of on the fence, and I, who knows, maybe um, the final month, I'll I'll firm up my opinion on him. I, I did I do feel like for a lot of this season 
there's been like a joylessness about that Chargers team, mm-hmm. you know, that you kind of just like, man, uh, they kind of seem miserable. They're waiting for something bad to happen. And sometimes it just takes a game like they had last week for that to flip. But at the same time, maybe last week against Miami was the exception and they're going to kind of go back to the team we've seen for most of the year. It does feel like they're a slog to watch as a fan, let alone as someone yes. who's not even as a fan, just just to watch as a analyst, let alone as a fan, let alone as part of that organization. Um, it does feel like the problems they have on a week-to-week basis don't get solved. Yes, well said. You said it much more succinctly than I. Uh, that's why you're much better at this I than I am. I think that is fair. <laughs> uh, I think my average column length will prove that is not the case. In terms of uh, let's finish up with Bengals Bucks, and let's. We talked about the Bucks a little bit earlier. Um, talked about Tom Brady and his level of performance and how, you know, at his best, Brady still looks like his old self overall, maybe not so much. Let me start with this on the broader offensive side of things. Is there any reason to think, given how bad they've been for most of this season, that the Bucks are going to figure things out and improve on offense over the final month of the year? No. <laughs> I hate this. Talk talk about a tough watch and a slog. Yes. I hate. Well, I think they might be number one on my. I hate to watch this team rankings, but I'm sure you're the same way. Like at this point in the season, you don't need. You, I don't know how you do it. I'm not watching every team. Like yes, the first, sure. you know, six eight weeks, I'm like I gotta have an opinion on every team, and I'm just every Monday Tuesday later in the week if I missed them. All right, I want to have my own opinion on these teams. And now you're like, all right, these teams are out of it. They're playing for draft positioning, but the Bucks are still in it, so you have to still watch mm-hmm. them. But you. Know know what you're going to see every week. I mean, talk about not solving the problems that show up every week that a hundred percent applies to them. I mean, no one can, someone explain to me why it feels like Tom Brady and Mike Evans every week just (laughs) met five minutes before the game in the parking lot and are having four miscommunications where they're staring at each other or they're talking about it on the sideline. Like they've been playing together for three years. They've had stretches where they've been unbelievable together Mm -hmm. and it hasn't been the case this year. And so With this offense, I feel like earlier in the season, I was looking at it going, Brady still got it. It's the offensive line. It's the receiver injuries. But I got to say, in recent weeks, uh, I've turned a little bit. Uh, It feels more like Brady is not playing at the same level he was even earlier in the season. Mm -hmm. He's missing throws, accuracy. Uh, With that offensive line, when the quarterback is like, I don't want to say terrified of getting hit because that makes him sound scared. And I know he's not scared. He's just like, I want to be standing upright and I need to be standing upright if the team's going to be good. But the pressure really uh, affects him to where he's grounding balls. He's not uh, hanging in there. He's not making throws that might eventually be there. And so, uh, like I said, he can still make the elite throws. I mean, every week there are at least three, four, five where you go, wow, that is an incredible throw by Tom Brady. But I don't think it's been consistent. They've been one of the worst rushing teams in the NFL. I don't think they're doing anything creative schematically uh, to help the players they have. So, um, I think that London game against the Seahawks really, you know, that that was a mirage. Now we learn anyone can run on Seattle. And so, uh, no, I don't have any faith in, in this offense to answer your question. No, I mean, I don't blame you. I, I, I don't, unless they get all of their offensive linemen back, which I don't think, I think Tristan Wirfs will come back. I don't know about Ryan Jensen. There's been, I think like they've sort of hoped he'd be able to come back. I don't think it's very likely. Um I mean, Leonard Fournette looks cooked. They could give Rashad White more touches. But like you said, I mean, if you can't get throwing to Mike Evans down where it feels like they're a reliable option or on the same page, it feels like Brady has nothing he can turn to and say, okay, like this is what my option is when I need a play. You know, maybe that was Gronk for him, even at the end in Tampa Bay. Like he was like, okay, if yeah. I, I need someone to throw to, I can, that can be that guy. And they have talent. The talent's not the issue at receiver. But even though Mike Evans is super talented, it feels like Tom Brady can't trust that Mike Evans is going to be in the right spot. And I'm not blaming Mike Evans for that. I'm not blaming Brady for that. I'm not blaming Byron Leftwich for that, but clearly somebody's wrong and wrong every single week. It's like you said, this happens multiple times a game on a weekly basis. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's baffling. And it's a good point about Gronk. I mean, Gronk was still like one of the best tight ends in the NFL yeah. last year. And he, he definitely solved problems for them in the red zone 
in high leverage situations. And so uh, I think that's been a factor. The offensive line injuries have obviously been a huge, uh, a huge factor. And so, I mean, listen, they still have Brady. They still have Evans. They still have Godwin. They still have Gage. And so it's sort of like, you know, if there's somebody was still holding out hope, I wouldn't 100% uh, tell them they're wrong. But just if you go through the viewing experience of watching this team week in and week out, it's really hard to get there. I feel like last week, even though they were going up against a 49er, a great 49ers defense, that was kind of the last straw for me where I'm like, all right, I'm not getting, uh, you know, suckered by this team any longer. Yes. You're Seinfeld walking out of the theater saying you've had enough. That's right. I, I wonder about the Bengals in this game because they watched that Niners game last week and Vita Vea, the star Bucks defensive tackle went out early in that game after I think three snaps. Looks like he's not going to play this week. Niners ran all over the Bucks last week. And and this Bucks run defense, like that idea that they're this dominant run defense, even before last week, was kind of a a a artifact of years past. They were a solid run defense, but had ugly games. And I, I wonder from the Bengals perspective, they have been the second most pass happy team on neutral neutral situations on early downs over this five game winning streak so they've been very comfortable throwing the football but they've sort of had to be coaxed to do that in years past like they've wanted to be more more balanced and then as the year goes on it's sort of like okay well we have to have joe burrow fix this for us let's start throwing the ball a ton more do you think this could be a game where the Bengals end up running the ball more than they should? Or do you think they've abandoned that and they're going to throw the ball against this Bucks pass defense? I think they've abandoned it. I'm in on the I'm all in on this uh Bengals team. Wow. I feel like they've they've looked at their issues in the past. It's actually, according to Ben Baldwin, say it's not just the last five weeks for the season, the only team throwing more than the Bengals on early downs is the Kansas City Chiefs. Wow. They're all the way up to 64.5%. And so all like the the vibe stuff we're talking about with the Chargers and the Bucks, I feel like it's the opposite for the Bengals. Like I love watching this team every week. I feel like they looked at what was not working for them and solved those problems, some of their tendencies with the run game, shotgun, first under center. I didn't realize until I was just prepping for this pod, they're the third most efficient running team in the NFL by wow. DVOA. And the teams ahead of them are the Eagles and the Ravens with Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts who make the running game totally different. And so that is like, that's so impressive to me that when they run the ball, they're way more efficient than they were last year. And I don't have questions about their passing game uh, with Burrow. I love Burrow. I love Chase. Um, they've solved the issue of, hey, you're going to play too high against us and uh, make us methodically move the ball down the field. Yeah, we, we can do that too. You're not going to do that. Okay, we're, we're just going to get the ball in Chase's hands and he can totally uh, change the game. I feel like Burrow is a problem solver. I feel like he's an elevator. You know, like, like when they didn't have Chase, they were finding ways like the offense was, you know, they had the one bad game against the Browns. But then after that, it was like, oh, OK, you know, Chase is awesome, but it's not all Chase. Like mm -hmm. Burrow can make the players around him better. And um, the pass protection has been better. The offensive line has been better. Uh, if you look at how often Burrow's getting sacked, that was kind of always the knock on him. Mm -hmm. Right now, it's just about league average. I yeah. think he's about six, six point nine percent. So um, I've just been really impressed with this team. And then defensively, they just do a great job of molding their game plan to the opponent's strengths and weaknesses. So, uh, listen, this is probably one of those games where it's like, all right, I feel so strongly about both teams that I'm just going to look like an idiot Sunday night and the Bucks are going to find a way. But I couldn't feel any more different about these two teams. I mean, I, I think the Bengals are a legit Super Bowl contender. Like if I had to name five teams, they would be among the five and the Bucks. I don't believe in at all. So we'll see if they keep trending in opposite directions, but that's kind of how I feel just going into this game. All right, let's finish up with that. Actually, give me your five teams. You have confidence in actually making a Super Bowl run. Bengals oh are my one. gosh. Okay. I like this. Uh, Bengals are one. Uh, Chiefs are another. Sure. B Bills are another. Sure. E Eagles are another. Yep. And then I guess I ha I have to. This, this is where five, it becomes difficult. Five. I wanted to see who you'd have at five. At five. All right. Uh, no, I'm looking at it now. No on the Ravens. Um, I think I have to go to the NFC. It really comes down to the Cowboys or the Niners mm. for me. Am I willing? Are you? Are to you lay more it all confident? On the line for 
Brock, <laughs> Brock Purdy, Purdy or Mike McCarthy? That's right. Purdy Shanahan versus uh, Dak McCarthy. Let's see. I can't just switch those and make it Dak Shanahan. Um, I think I'm going to say, oh my gosh, this is so hard. I've been flip-flopping on this for like a month because every Philly radio appearance, they ask me, you know, who's who's more of a threat, the Niners or the Cowboys? I'm going to say the Cowboys are more of a threat. I mean, listen, if Purdy keeps playing well, I'm going to look stupid for this, but um, the Cowboys seem to be able to win games in more ways right now with their passing game, with their running game, with their pass rush. Um, but man, that, that Niners defense and the supporting cast around Purdy, it, it was tough for me. But ultimately, I think I would go with the Cowboys as the fifth and the Niners as the sixth or uh, 5A or whatever. Is I should have an- just said the Lions. I should have just like said the Lions and really thrown you off there. The Lions are really the anti-Bucks, right? Like they have basically, yes. they, they have literally the same record. They're both this six and seven. And yet... Every Lions game feels like a party, and every Bucks game yes. feels like a funeral. Hundred percent. Well, again, you said it much more succinctly than I did. I a hundred percent agree with that. Yes, no doubt. All right. Well, if you want to hear very good opinions from one person and very questionable opinions from uh, their partner, Sheila, where can people check out uh, the work you're doing right now? Yeah, you can check me out on the Ringer NFL feed. I'm on with uh, Benjamin Solak. We have a show called Extra Point Taken. That is, we record every late Monday night after Monday Night Football. And on Thursdays, I have a rotating cast of guests, including the great uh, Bill Barnwell on uh, on a show called The Scramble. That's also on the Ringer NFL feed. Had on the great Nora Princiati this week. And so you can find that there. And then uh, if you want Philly stuff, we have the Ringer's Philly special talking about the Eagles, the Phillies, Sixers, whatever else is happening in Philadelphia sports. Awesome. You know, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. It was fun as always. All right. Thanks so much to Sheila Kapadia, an absolute legend. One of my favorite guests. Check out his work, even with Benjamin Solak's great, even though he has questionable temperature opinions, but you don't have to agree with everything he says. But definitely check out Sheila and Ben's work over at The Ringer. Hope you guys are enjoying the finishing few weeks of the NFL season. It's crazy. Still feel like we don't know so much about some of these teams. feel like we know everything we need to know about some other teams. But still a lot of crazy stuff happening. Texans almost beat the Cowboys last week. Uh, Still crazy stuff in the next few weeks, I am sure. So hope you guys are enjoying that. Hope you guys are having a great holiday season, and we will have more audio on the way next week.